So, could be the sound of ticking clocks, could be the sound of somebody eating, loud breathing, could cause you physical distress. And if that's the case, you may be one of five people, every five people, not just five people, but of five people, one is likely to suffer from misophonia. Indeed, some of your texts indicate that the very word rugby is painful and distressing to them. The condition misophonia can trigger fight or flight mode, a surge of rage or anxiety or disgust or an urge to escape. Oxford University-based Australian clinical psychologist and misophonia sufferer Dr Jane Gregory has written a practical guide to coping with the condition. The book is called Sounds Like Misophonia, How to Stop Small Noises from Causing Extreme Reactions. And she's with me now. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's Thanks for pleasure. talking about misophonia. It's a pleasure. How is your misophonia manifested? Mine is manifested in, well, eating sounds in particular are a real problem for me where I get a, a really strong sort of disgust reaction to eating sounds and just kind of have to get away. I feel like I have to get away from them. Um, I also have a, a, a reaction to repetitive kind of sounds like ticking clocks and um, th clicking pens and things like that where if I can hear those sounds, I just can't really concentrate on anything else. So if I'm in an open plan office environment, it's a complete nightmare because I just can't focus once I've tuned into those kinds of sounds. And and what happens to you if you can't get away from them? I, f nowadays, I've gotten much more control over it and my reactions are much less intense. So most of the time I can cope if I know it's not going to be too long that I'll have to sit with the sound, but I do often carry earplugs with me or headphones so that if I think I'm going to be stuck with the sound, I'll just try and block it out that way. So an example is I was on the a flight, a long distance flight, and someone started sniffing very early on in the flight and a very repetitive sniff. And I just couldn't ignore it. And knowing I was going to be stuck with that sound, I started to get really upset and panicky because I was thinking, what, what am I going to do for this whole flight if I have to just keep hearing that the whole time? Um, and then I couldn't get my headphones to work. And so then I burst into tears because I thought I wasn't going to be able to escape the sound. And my husband very kindly loaned me his headphones so that I was able to block it out. So I think it, it depends on how easy it is to get away and how easy it is to block out the sound. who just went crazy because there was a baby crying. And most people thought he was just being a jerk. But if you put it in the context of maybe he was suffering from misophonia, then maybe he's entitled to be a jerk. In other words, does misophonia now justify people behaving like jerks? Well, that's a very good question. I don't think anything justifies us behaving like jerks. I think it makes some reactions more understandable, but we are still very much responsible for our behavior and for being respectful and um, kind to the 
people around us. So it depends how those reactions come out. I would say the sort of internal experience is valid and allowed to be there, but we do still have to be very, very responsible for our actions. And it's still not okay to be shouting at people, especially somebody on a flight with a baby who just is, you know, they're doing everything that they can to help the baby calm down. So Um, I don't think it justifies that kind of behaviour, but it certainly helps to explain the intensity of that that reaction. And I'm certainly not meaning to diminish your reactions, but we all have to put up with stuff we don't like. What's the line between mm, being irritable with other people for making irritating noises and, and having a what? A disorder? Is it a disorder? There's, um, yeah, some, some people sort of calling to have it labelled as a disorder mm. to sort of capture the fact that at the more extreme end, there are some people who live in distress every day and um, it has causes problems with relationships and work and school and study and things like that. For most people with misophonia, it's not at that intensity where certainly I, I doubt many of them would consider themselves to have a disorder, but it can get that extreme where people do... Um, have sort of day-to-day distress and impairment from it. And both of those are still different from people who are just annoyed by sounds because these are sounds that are inherently annoying. And, you know, we did a a general population study in the UK and 85% said they didn't like the sound of loud eating. So that's a really normal sound not to like. The difference for misophonia is that um, that feeling like the the more intense reaction and that feeling like if you don't get away from it, it it could turn really bad and and that urge to escape that sound. Not being able to tune it out after a while so you don't get used to the sound in the same way that somebody who's just a bit annoyed by it, they might eventually tune it out, but probably not someone with misophonia. So so at the extreme end, why? I mean, were you, did something terrible happen to you while somebody was eating loudly? Do you know what I mean? Is there usually an experiential explanation? That That's pretty much what we're trying to work out in all the research. Like nothing disastrous happened to me. It was just suddenly I started to notice it and then I couldn't unnotice it. Right. And then my reactions got more and more um, intense. So it sort of, it can build over time. Um, we think maybe there's sort of like a general sensitivity to these kind of sounds where it's a bit harder to tune them out or maybe you're more likely to... Um, be more bothered by them under stress or something like that, which can then build over time. But there's no clear link to traumatic events or anything like that, or particularly dramatic eating events, although for some people that might be the case, but it's not typical. A text has come in from John saying, I think most married women, clearly he's done quite an extensive survey, I think most (laughs) married women suffer from misophonia, with the sound of the husband's breathing. And interestingly enough, the first chapter of your book is called If You Loved Me, You'd Breathe Quietly. Is that the case? <laughs> I, I, I haven't done a survey of all married women. Um, it sounds like no, we'll leave that up to John. Of, <laughs> of all the married women in John's life, um, they're bothered by the sound of breathing. I, there's something about one, when you're with somebody for a long time, small things that you didn't notice to begin with, can you, it can start to bother you. And once you've noticed that it bothers you, it's really hard for it to, for that to go away. And so it, the number of things that bother you can increase 
over time. And if that happens to be somebody's audible breathing, then that, um, you know, that you could add that to the list with, you know, putting empty milk cartons back in the fridge and things like that. Yes. Um, Laura has said that she would like to strike anyone who eats an apple with an earshot. She hurriedly adds she mm-hmm. doesn't. But maybe she's got exceptionally good hearing. Is that the issue? Perhaps. Some so, people just hear things too acutely. There was actually a fascinating study that was done at the University of uh, Concordia in Montreal in Canada where they tested that and what they found was that actually statistically people with misophonia don't have better hearing than people without misophonia and they don't, when both are looking out for the sound, listening out for the sound, they don't detect it any sooner than the, than somebody without misophonia. But what, what might happen is that because sounds bother them more, they might be... Um, so more on the lookout for sounds. So it's not that they have better hearing, but their attention might be just part of their attention might be kind of listening out for them. So they might hear things that other people don't hear because they're worried about the sounds that they might hear. But it's or that, they don't right, sorry. tune them out over time. Right. No, that's okay. Yep. Well, it's not so it's a matter of attention rather than some kind of auditory processing problem. Uh, there, there, there's two parts to it. So one is a matter of attention and the other is not being able to tune it out, so not habituating to the sound. So if somebody heard a couple of ticks of a clock, they they would not hear it after a little while because the brain doesn't need to keep hearing repetitive things because there's no new information there. And we're pretty good usually at tuning that out. But for people with misophonia, they keep hearing the sound. So someone won't even realise they've heard it because they ignored it so quickly, whereas the person with misophonia keeps hearing it and then someone else is like, how did you even hear that? And it's just because their brain was ignoring it because it wasn't important. I'm wondering if there's a link between misophonia then and obsessive compulsive disorder in some way. That's really interesting. That's A lot of people who work with misophonia were actually working with people with obsessive compulsive disorder and then people with misophonia started to come into their clinics and so they were sort of seeing some overlaps. But what we're finding over time with research is that there are no clear links there might be some overlaps in some of the symptoms but they're still we we can see that they're pretty distinct disorders but there is that slight um obsessive element of not being able to ignore something so with cognitive behavioral therapy can you inure people to the sounds that would cause misophonia there are some strategies that can be really helpful to sort of change the brain's association with sound. So so what we think is that there's, there might be a general difficulty sort of ignoring or tuning out these sounds, but the more intense reaction comes from your brain sort of treating that sound like it's some kind of threat or violation. And that's the bit that we can target in cognitive behavior therapy. And we don't do it in the classic way. So a lot of therapist's instincts is to do this graded exposure where you kind of put the person in the room with the trigger sound and wait until they get used to it. And that doesn't really work very well for misophonia. But what can work is if you get a chance to sort of play around with the sound where the the person with misophonia is in complete control of the sound and they can mess around with the sound, sort of maybe like distort the sound using like an audio program or um, imagine that the sound's coming from something else or imagine that they're in control of the sound, like they've got a remote control and they could like change whether the person makes the sound or not. So just having lots of different experiences with sounds in an environment that the person's in control of and it's not a threatening situation 
can help the brain to learn new associations with the sounds. Uh, so all sorts of people are texting in saying, if I hear anybody vomiting, then I vomit myself. Is that misophonia? That's not the same as misophonia. No. So. I, I call that a sympathetic vomiting and I, I can relate. I'm a sympathetic crier. So if I see somebody else cry, I immediately start crying. So I've got a similar reaction and that, that could be a disgust reaction. So, or it could just be the, the body sort of a, like instinctive reaction that says, oh, there's something poisonous in the air. If someone else is vomiting, then I'd better empty my contents of my stomach just in case. So that is not misophonia. Um, but it can, yeah, I can, I can understand how they might make that link because there's the sound that might be prompting it. But um, that, that's a different process that's going on there. Uh, my younger son says a text used to get so distressed at the dinner table that he cried so hard he almost vomited. And we got some industrial grade headphones um, that stopped the noise and that fixed it, which is really interesting, actually. And he eventually grew out of it, they say. And somebody else says, my daughter has misophonia. We've tried various therapies over the last eight years. We cannot and have not eaten a meal at home as a family in that time. Her reactions are extremely intense. Even a sip of tea can set it off. What would you uh, recommend in that circumstance? That sounds terrible. Yeah, that sounds really awful. And and I think that's a really good example of how it's not just an individual problem. It's very much a family problem. So the whole family um, are trying to get on board with helping. The whole family are affected that they can't have the same sort of routines that they would normally have. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like they've tried therapy and it hasn't worked. And I, I, I don't know if different kinds of therapy might make a difference. That there are some different ways that you can be really gently play around with sounds where if if she's in control of the sound or making the sound herself, it might sort of help her brain to learn that those sounds aren't actually dangerous. And that in conjunction with things like headphones and earplugs or white noise machines. So you've got a bit of a mix of trying to change the brain's reaction, but also just helping to manage, like not having to hear the sound so you don't get so overstimulated by them. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't say whether they've tried the headphone trick, but that may be worth a try. Um, it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't have tried headphones. It is like hard that. to imagine. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like the instinctive response is like, let's just block it out as quick as we can. It's really tough, though. There are certain paradoxes in this that you can't stand hearing people chew, but you don't mind hearing your puppy chewing its food. Yeah. That's quite a yeah, common thing, it, isn't it? It really is. And that that's the, and they, they're actually testing that in research and have shown that effect in research, that if the sound, even if it's the exact same audio that you're listening to, if you're watching it as if it's coming from a person and watching it as if it's coming from a puppy, you will have a different reaction. So we know that context is important. And so it's not just about the acoustics of the sound. It's also about the sort of behavior of the other person or what you um, worry the other person might do or maybe how long you'll be stuck with it or something. Um, and maybe an effect of thinking, well, the, the puppy can't help it, whereas people can help it and it feels like they should be able to control it and, and that can sort of fuel the effect a bit. Right, so it feels back to the title of your chapter If you love me, breathe quietly. If you cared about me, you wouldn't be doing that. 
that's what it can feel like. Mm. And most people with misophonia know rationally that the person can very much still care about them and still breathe loudly or eat loudly. But in the moment, it feels like such a violation. And the bo- your body's sort of telling you it's a violation. And so it feels like somebody is doing it, uh, that they don't care or that they even are doing it deliberately. Um, somebody has suggested that it sounds like the kind of whole system disruption caused by normal everyday stimulus that people with neurodiversity often experience, um, common in people with autism, they say, and other neurodiversities um, whom I work with, uh, people with overall more sensitive systems. Do you think there's there's a link with with the neurodiverse? I definitely think there's a link and there's a little bit of research again around this, which is starting to find that maybe the common thread here is a general sensory sensitivity and someone with general sensory sensitivity is more likely to go on to develop misophonia in certain contexts or situations. So people who are neurodivergent, who are sensitive to sounds, will be more predisposed to get misophonia than somebody who is not already sensitive to sounds. And again, they're sort of different phenomena, but but you, the, the two can exist together and there's definitely an overlap. When I'm at a movie, I, I cannot bear people opening those rustly things that for some peculiar reason movie theatres always sell to people. <laughs> um, but that's, that would only be misophonia, presumably, if I had to leave the theatre as opposed to wanting but not turning around and shouting at them. Yeah, I think if if it's a temporary experience for you and it 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 really annoys you or makes you angry but you don't do anything about it and you you can deal with it if you have to, then it's probably less likely to be misophonia if there's no other sort of signs of misophonia. Um, whereas if that was me, I'd be moving seats or putting earplugs in. Um, I probably wouldn't leave the cinema, but you know, I'd, I'd be tempted if it was too rustly. Right. I don't understand why they don't put things in like soft cloth bags or something. It just I seems know. crazy that everything's so loud it's in the cinema really when it's meant to be quiet. Very, very irritating. But but you know what I think? I think that now people have listened to that inter- this interview and they will now discover that they suffer from misophonia. Do you think that this is a good thing or a bad thing? I do not wish to diminish the syndrome, but I'm wondering if we're getting oversensitive, generally speaking. Yeah, I I think that that's a really important point, and especially thinking about that term disorder, that I don't want to go putting a disorder label on everyone. But if we think of it as a phenomenon, and you've always had this phenomenon and you've never been able to explain it and suddenly you've got a word that describes it, that can be really validating. And knowing that you're not the only person and you're not crazy, it's just that some brains process sounds differently, then I think that can be really helpful. But if we go into the realm of slapping a disorder label on it and telling people there's something wrong with them or they need to be treated, then that that's definitely a problem. Um, and and it, it undermines the people who are really suffering and do really need that extra level of help and would be at what we would call a disorder level. Um, but we don't have a way to distinguish those two different things yet, the phenomenon and the disorder level. You will probably relate to this person who says, as a long-standing 
misophonite. I don't know how that word would work. And as a father, the only way I could get through family dinners was to have music constantly playing, which gave my children a love of music as an aside, as well as helping me out to get through family meals. I think you use music as well, don't you? I do. Yes. That's that's basically the cue that my husband knows that somebody at the table is eating loudly. Is We've got a, a little speaker with Siri attached to it. So I'll be like, Siri, put some Taylor Swift on and something that everyone can just immediately enjoy and just drown out whatever's going on. And that's a much nicer way of dealing with it than commenting on eating and I certainly don't want to make my kids feel self-conscious around food and eating and and I love the meal experience I just don't like the sound of the food do you think it's in any way genetic it's possible again this is like really early days for research there might be some traits that could be genetic that would predispose someone to misophonia but there's not a there's no identified like specific misophonia gene there's just a gene that might be associated with this kind of sensitivity or um, processing of, of sounds. Understand. Very good to talk to you. Thank you. Dr Jane Gregory uh, has written a book called Sounds Like Misophonia, How to Stop Small Noises from Causing Extreme Reactions. And judging by your texts, a lot of you would find that book quite useful.